Hey, y'all. Real quick before I hit play on this episode of Familypreneur for you, I want to be sure that you know that I have a brand new podcast available for you to check out. It's called Just Marketing, and you can find it on this podcast platform. Go ahead and search for Just Marketing and hit subscribe so you don't miss anything. Then come back here and listen to this episode of Familypreneur. It'll still be here waiting for you. Welcome to Familypreneur, the podcast for parent entrepreneurs raising kidpreneurs. It's time for your weekly dose of inspiration and actionable tips to build your business and find better balance, all while strengthening your family. And now we'd like to introduce your host. She's my mom and the bomb.com, Meg Brunson. Hello and welcome to episode number 41 of the Familypreneur podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by EIEIO Marketing. Facebook advertising does not have to be stressful and overwhelming, not when you have a former Facebook employee in your corner. If your business is looking for a reputable agency to manage your Facebook ads, visit EIEIOMarketing.com and reach out for a free consultation today. When you think about your Facebook marketing strategy, always remember EIEIO, where their name isn't just cute. It represents the ideal Facebook strategy. Engage, interact, educate, influence, and optimize. Now let's introduce today's guest. She is a systems expert and a productivity geek who helps impact-driven entrepreneurs get 10 to 12 more productive hours a week, stop leaking money, and prevent stress-fueled breakdowns. She's an engineer by training and came to a realization a couple years ago, working for a conglomerate was not as inspiring as she wanted her life to be. The quest for inspiration brought her to found Vision Framework, a company that builds small, purpose-driven businesses from the inside, helping entrepreneurs run their companies with ease by putting effective, easy-to-use, and fun systems in place. So let's talk organization and productivity systems with Marina Darlow. Hi, Marina. Thank you for joining me today. Hi, great being here. I'm so excited to dive into our conversation. We've chatted a couple times before recording, and I think this is going to be a really great episode for our listeners. So I'd like to start by talking about your transition from the corporate world into business ownership. Can you give a little background information and let us know what that looked like for you? Sure. I was trained as an engineer, industrial engineer to be precise, and started my career with um, analyzing projects, like how does the project work? What's the progress? Um, who's doing what? And then moved on to project management, which is what I wanted to do from the get-go. A few years in, I was managing really large projects, you know, many continents, calls in the middle of the night, because this is the only way that you get Holland and Malaysia in the same room virtually, big dollars, teams that... Some of them were awesome, but some people were like, you don't code, so you're clearly a second-class citizen. Because I I worked in high-tech at that point. I did some stint in manufacturing. And all of this, while being challenging and educational and fun and paying really well at times, eventually drove me to burnout. You may hear in the tone of my voice that I don't speak about this whole chunk of my career super fondly. It wasn't all bad. It was interesting. But after one of the corporate layoffs, I literally said, you know what, 
the management, the project management chapter in my life is over. And I went public with it on Facebook. <laughs> I was so over it. I went and enrolled in an interior design degree in RISD. And somewhere along the degree, I joined this personal slash business development program because honestly, I was still trying to find myself and what it is that I want to do with my life now that I'm a big girl. And as this program went on, the woman who headed it was making a transition herself into entrepreneurship and basically trying to convince me that it's a good choice for me. And I resisted with all my might because who I am to be running a company, like, you know, people who run companies, they're practically demigods. They know what to do. They have these brilliant ideas. They're able to make money of something that they thought of themselves with nobody bringing them clients. And I was like nowhere near this magical realm. So I literally felt that there is no way. And then a friend who was actually very successful, you could say an entrepreneur, although at this point she probably didn't see herself as such. Um, she was transitioning from a work at an agency to a private therapy practice. And she was so incredibly successful because of her highly innovative treatments that she was flooded with clients. So she needed to figure out how many clients she can take in, how much money she should charge, um, how should she design her group programs, like how many hours of FaceTime, how many hours in a group, how many hours of supporting people by text. Um, that was a thing too. And she was lost. Now, this is very much in my wheelhouse. So I was just, you know, like, that's easy. Let's, let's sit down with a spreadsheet. I'll show you how to do it. And you plug the numbers here and you look at the output there. This is how much you're going to make. This is how many hours you're going to work. Uh, if you have, you know, plug in 10 clients, this is the result. Plug in three clients. This is the result. Uh, up your price by $500. You'll see how it affects your bottom line. And, you know, just, just play with, with alternatives. And apparently this was such a powerful experience for her that she told, you know, her friends and acquaintances. And I felt that the skill I kind of took for granted, because everybody knows that definitely people who run their companies, right? Of course, it's like, you know, it's common sense. You do the math. So apparently that was valuable because to my great surprise, not everybody knew how to do this and definitely not everybody wanted to do this. And this is how my business was born. This is how Vision Framework came about because essentially I create frameworks for visionaries like the said friend who literally rebuilding lives one at a time. I think it's, it's a common occurrence for us as entrepreneurs to feel like our skills, because they do come so easy to us, to assume that they come easy for everybody. You know, I, I say, and I've said multiple times that everybody has marketable skills. And sometimes I think it's hard to see it because you just assume that everybody else knows the same thing that you know. But as you discovered, that's simply not the case. And I've been told an interesting thing when I share it. I was so amazed at the fact that I have something unique to offer. Mm -hmm. It came across as me being arrogant because like, if you think this is so easy, what does it make us people who can't do this? Like you're essentially being condescending. And I'm like, oh, that was not my intent, but you may be right. And to people out there, I think when we don't value ourselves, we actually do a disservice 
in a sense, to people who don't think that it's super easy. Hmm. People who don't real like people who don't find it natural for them. That's really interesting. That's definitely making my wheels turn. So once you made the decision to transition, what did that look like for for your family? So at that point, I had a toddler mm-hmm. and my husband was in school. And I was very lucky that for the first few months, my business really, really thrived. And suddenly, you know, I was the one making sure that we get the rent. I was the one, you know, bringing in the bacon, the mm-hmm. proverbial bacon, because at that point I wasn't, you know, I wasn't a big fan of bacon very much. <laughs> I changed my errant ways since then. Um, it felt amazing. It felt incredible. I remember that for the first time in years, I sensed that I was making a true impact because when you work in corporate, you know, you are part of a team that upgrades the IT platform for the marketing department of a big corporation. And it's great. And it all has their place in the world. We need big corporations, especially in the US when they provide bigger insurance. Mm -hmm. That's a completely different conversation, but it's valuable work, but you don't feel super connected to the results. You don't see the people who felt a real transformation from something that you did. On the other hand, when you work with a small business owner and that person is finally able to raise her prices and go on vacation, or that person is able to stop feeling overwhelmed and create a new amazing project because you made sure they have good systems in place and they're not stressed as they used to be. That feels... I don't know. It's hard to, it's hard to quantify this feeling. It's the reason to get up in the morning, no less. Yeah, no, it, and I totally agree with you. I've had multiple jobs where I feel I really enjoy the work, but you don't get the same interaction with the people you're helping. Yeah. It's when you work with small business owners, the results of your work are not really removed from what you do day in, day out. In a corporate job, very often, that's the case. Right. So how did your husband approach this? What was he going to school for? And was he aligned with your decision to pursue entrepreneurship? Because I know you said you felt some resistance. He was the most supporting person ever, ever, ever. I'm exceptionally fortunate to be married to him because we have this belief, I guess, in the family that we support each other's dreams. He left a career in software, a really, really successful one too, to go and have a PhD in a different country in cognitive science. And I was perfectly fine with that because this was important to him. This was his dream. And we just upped ourselves and moved across the ocean. And when I decided that I want to pursue my dream and I want to start a business and it you know, it worked well with um, our circumstances because he was graduating. He was about to find a job. So there were no, no big financial insecurity issues there. Mm-hmm. And we could, like, we could afford it comfortably as a family. He was absolutely great with that. In fact, he was very happy because he saw how I felt in my corporate life. And he, on the other hand, you know, saw me smiling coming back from the work with my clients of course he was on board. Everybody, I think, prefers a happier spouse. Right? <laughs> well, that's good to hear. Now, 
How did that look for you? How did you stay organized and sane navigating your business and your toddler? Because your toddler would have been home with you, right? Uh, so actually, my toddler was in daycare because okay. when she was born, I was still in corporate and I had to go back at 12 weeks. So we had to find some kind of a daycare situation. Fortunately, we had amazing daycare at the university. So we were, you know, we were happy knowing that she is secure, that she's safe, that she's happy, that she's really cared for, for people, by people who love her. Um, and then, you know, part of the time she was with us, mm-hmm. part of the time she was still in her preschool. Now, at that point, that was, that was not preschool, that's still daycare, right? Preschool is like four. So it was before preschool. She's nine now, so I'm losing track of these, uh, <laughs> of the names. And because I was the flexible one, it created much more opportunities for me to spend time with her, especially after my husband graduated and found a full-time job. It's very, very comfortable that I can drive her everywhere. Like we were talking before, right? Right now, she's an extremely, extremely busy kid. And I get to drive around with her in the car most days of, of the week. And while she's dancing or while she's at school doing math or something like that, I get to sit in the library or at Starbucks and work. I'm not sure I would be able to do that in my corporate career. Like, yes, you can work from home some days, but not all days. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, I think it's working out pretty well. In terms of staying organized, I don't know if much has changed for me personally, because in my corporate job, I had to be mega organized for myself because there was so much work to do and make sure everybody else is organized because otherwise things fall between the cracks. So it's kind of, I guess at this point, part of my nature. And that makes sense. And I think I want to go back to, I think you're right about and when I worked at corporate, when I was in corporate, you know, we didn't get home. By the time we got home, picking up the kids from school and daycare, it was like six o'clock. Like there just wasn't time in the evenings to do any of those extracurricular activities. So to have the flexibility to drive her back and forth and then get work done while she's there is amazing. I can tell you that most of the moms, somehow it's always the mom. That's a whole (laughs) other host of issues. Most of the moms in our ballet school, right? Uh They all run businesses from home because otherwise it's really, really hard. There are a few people that have hired nannies, Mm -hmm. you know, both parents work, um, till six o'clock. So there's a couple teachers that have the flexibility to leave the classroom and bring the kids say, at four o'clock to the extracurriculars. But the majority of parents that drive the kids around now, I live in the Boston area, which means we all have overscheduled children. <laughs> I'll be the first to admit. Um, most of the people who are able to do this kind of parenting make their money by running the business. And that makes sense. And I think it's a, it's definitely a trend, you know, a trend that we're seeing. Cause I, yeah. I see the same thing on the other side of the country in Phoenix, where everyone has some sort of a hustle. So even if you're not working a traditional job, you're, you're hustling in some way because it's so possible. Like that's with the internet, it's just so possible. I think it's so much more possible in our generation than it was in our parents' generations. Oh, without a doubt. Absolutely. That's one of my favorite things. So you, you, you seem like a very organized person. Like that seems very clear to me. 
<laughs> based on what you offer your clients. And so what are some of your favorite tips for organization or some of your favorite systems that you use to really build resilience in business and your life? That's a wonderful question. I think as far as systems for organizations go, there are a couple key points. Before we get into specific systems, I think there is an underlying mindset that almost everything can and should be organized. And of course, I don't mean your, you know, your dreams, things like that are this um, ephemeral, but all your activities can and should be organized. And it's actually very liberating. It's not restricting. It's the other way around. So we have a set schedule. We know what we do on which days as a family. We know when I work longer days and when my husband work longer days. And it's all based, you know, it all works together with our daughter's activities. Uh, we have calendars that I don't think, you know, I think half of the entrepreneurship won't be possible without Google Calendar or some version of an online calendar. And I use it for blocking off time, not just for meetings, not just, you know, color coding my calendars, but I make sure that I use recurrent time blocks on certain days. So I have anchors throughout the week when I know that my Tuesdays and my Thursdays, I work with a friend remotely. Um, and this is our creative times. And I know that on Fridays, you know, certain content goes out. And I know that I edit the podcast on Mondays mm -hmm. and sometimes Tuesday if something happened on Monday. And there are times for client work. So there are recurrent times for at least half of my week. And of course, there's room for, you know, unexpected things. That's probably at the heart of me staying organized. Then there's this more physical aspect to it that most things have their place. Nowadays, it's actually very, very, very easy because most of the paper and most of the clutter is in your computer. And once you get your computer organized on the inside, like you have a good filing system, you have, you know, where certain things go, your email is organized well, it's actually like very, very easy to maintain. So the physical organization doesn't become an issue as well because they're most of the clutter lives on the cloud anyway, <laughs> and hopefully it's not a big clutter there. So I guess these things, like, would you like me to be more specific? I mean, sure, you can keep going. I think this is good. I'm curious. I know you said most things live on the cloud. Do you use stuff like Dropbox or Google Drive? Like, is there an organization system that you prefer that way? I definitely use Google Drive, absolutely. And I have it synced to my computer, to my hard drive. So everything I do on my computer locally and just save it in the right folders, it's automatically updated on my Google Drive. I don't even know how to do that. That sounds brilliant. <laughs> that sounds brilliant. No, and I'm trying to I'm trying to do that and go more towards the cloud of things. I love Google Drive. I love that. I mean, I, I tend to bring my laptop with me everywhere I go. But that if I'm somewhere else and I need to access something, it's always accessible. Right, right. And it's accessible from your phone. And it's just the backup, like say your hard drive crashes. Which has happened. It totally happened. Totally happened. My first laptop was this huge, ridiculously heavy 17-inch PC. <laughs> 
And I thought that I needed a 17 inch because I was still, um, I was still doing design work for school. And I thought I needed a big screen. And at some point it got old and geriatric and heavy and then it kind of died. Now, luckily I had everything backed up because otherwise it would be kind of hard to get it out. Like I probably would, but it would require some work and a considerable amount of stress. For me, it would require money. Like, I, like there's no way I could figure that out. I would have to go pay someone to do it. Yeah, well, my husband is good at these things. But yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. <laughs> I think that's great. I think those are great tips. So keeping, basically, you use your Google Calendar to block your time and your schedule, which is, a, I feel like that's a recurring thing that, we, that we've heard from time to time from different guests. Um, and it's something that I've adopted and put into place as well. I, I do it more on a daily basis. I don't know if maybe that's counterintuitive. You know, I go in, so at the end of the day yesterday, I went in and I determined like how I should spend the day today. Um, but there are some things that are pretty consistent week to week. So I suppose I could put those in ahead of time. I think it's a combination. So many things go onto my calendar way ahead of time, especially if these are appointments, but also just the work mm-hmm. itself. Some things are recurrent. And then every day, of course, I look at the beginning and the end of the day, you know, what's going on, what was finished, and what I'm expecting the next day. Like, I like knowing in advance what's going to happen tomorrow. So I'm looking at my calendar for the next day. And of course, everything is on reminders. So everything beeps at you at the right time. Right. Right. <laughs> Got all of those reminders keeping you on task. So what what is your biggest struggle right now with running your business and managing your family? Specifically with keeping the balance? It could be. Because I think in terms of balance, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. The only thing that, you know, there's some undercurrent of guilt when you're spending more time with your family because you're not spending time on your business. And when you're spending time in your business, you're not necessarily spending time with your family. I don't think, I don't want to say everybody, but I don't think I will ever completely get rid of it. It just, you know, it's just an issue for every working mom, at least, and some good working dads too. Right. Is it a mindset shift that's helped you through that? Or what is it that that breaks you out of that cycle of getting stuck in the vortex of guilt? In general, I think I reached a balance that I'm happy with. And I know that this is good and this won't change. Sometimes I feel like, oh, it would be nice, you know, if I don't have to work that much. Or, oh, it would be nice if I could have more time to spend on my business. But these are topical. You know, it happens from time to time. So, for instance, this next few weeks, I have a bunch of webinars lined up on top of my regular work. So, clearly, you know, there are evenings when I sit in front of my computer instead of watching American Ninja Warrior with my daughter. (laughs) But there's also an understanding that, A, this is temporary, and B... This is how business is. On one hand, she gets to hang out with me in the afternoon when I pick her up from school and she gets to play with me in the playground and she gets to spend time with me when we drive through her various things. And on the other hand, you know, sometimes I need to work evenings and she gets to hang out with her dad who has like, he's in corporate and he has more classic schedule. Sure. So honestly, I don't feel much of the guilt. Like sometimes it's kind of like, in the back of my mind, but not to the degree that it really draws me in and torches me. 
It sounds great. It sounds like you found just the balance that works for you, like the the trade-off and you pick up the afternoons and your husband kind of picks up the evenings and it gives you some flexibility to do your thing in the evening. Sometimes. Actually, most of the evenings we're all hanging out together. It just, you know, sometimes they're more stressful right. periods than some other times. And I definitely want to make sure we touch on your daughter a little bit. So she's, she obviously sees you hustling, whether it's knowing that you're working your business while she's at dance or, or watching you work while she's watching American Ninja Warrior or whatever the case may be. And I know you've mentioned that she has that drive, that entrepreneurial drive. She wants to be like you when she grows up. Tell us about a little bit about what that looks like and what some of your hesitations are. Ah, wow. That's a million dollar question. (laughs) I hesitate how to talk about it without getting too personal and too, because right, like I don't want to expose much of her on a private uh, public podcast. For some weird reason, she seems to think that her mommy is an admirable woman. (laughs) I clearly make a really good facade. I do try to talk very openly to her about running a business and about the journey, the fact that it's not like, oh, you start a business and then the money just pours in and that's it. And then you become really rich. This is not how it works. Right. We talk and because I started it when she was already there and she kind of saw me through the phases and there were quite a lot of ups, ups and down in my personal journey. She knows that business needs to be raised like you raise a baby. She knows that it's not always easy. And she knows that, and that's probably the most important thing. Like we are trying to convey that running a business has more risks that not all businesses would succeed. Not all your endeavors in a business would really bear fruit. And you'll just have to keep trying. You'll just, you know, otherwise you can just quit. And on one hand, I think it's an admirable quality to foster in little kids, to make sure that they don't view failure as, you know, the end of the world, Mm -hmm. even if it's a local failure. But on the other hand, the amplitude of emotions within their entrepreneurship, when you are running your own thing, can be so big. And so powerful, like the ups are so high and the downs are so low that I find that I need to place some boundaries around me because I don't want her to see just how wrecking for one psyche running a business can be. And that's one of my biggest hesitations, I guess, because she would love to start her own business. And I'm like, sure, go for it. But making sure that she understands that it won't necessarily be successful in the first try. Making sure that, and oh, and we're talking about online businesses now, right? Because a lemonade stand is not really all that exciting. <laughs> the exposure that online business brings with it for a kid, I honestly have no idea how to navigate it. Like what if she encounters haters? What if there are trolls online and there will be, right? How do you deal with it? I don't know. I'm a grown woman. I can deal with that. But is it okay to expose my nine-year-old to this kind of dynamic? Can I avoid it somehow or at least, you know, decrease the likelihood of it's happening? I would love to know. I don't. And in a sense, I would love ideally to involve her in my business behind the scenes 
And that's kind of happening, sort of. Like, she's really good at validating my content. So for instance, if I need to write a launch email and she asks me, what are you writing about? If I can explain it to her, it's usually written. Like, and if I can't and I make an effort, it really helps me along. Like, it's a huge productivity tool. Explain your stuff to your kids. If they understood, you're good to go. I actually did that the other day. I I had one of my first like stage presentations I was giving in front of a, a large group of people. So I was practicing and my three-year-old came in the room um, in the middle, like like in the middle of the thing. So she missed like the beginning, like 10 minutes of my talk, but she came in at that point and I just kept going. Like I wasn't going to be, I wasn't going to stop. Like I just kept going and she sat behind me and she nodded nodded her little head as I, I talked about, you know, marketing and things like that. And at one point she said, mommy, I don't understand why you say that. And I said, oh, I'll, and I just acted like she was a, a grown person in the audience who, right. who interrupted my presentation to say she was lost. And I, I just ran with it. And now I don't have a real expectation that she understood anything of what I said. She's three. She's three, right. But there was just something about speaking it to to a person, even a child. It was it was a fun experience for me. So I, I enjoy that you mentioned that. Yeah, I again I find it really, really, really helpful. I think the first time it happened, she was seven. Mm-hmm. And she was old enough to understand some basic concepts. And I was agonizing over my first group program launch. I've never done it before. And it was excruciating because the group was already, it wasn't quite assembled, but the um, target audience was very small and highly credentialed people. And I felt like a fraud. And I felt like, what can I possibly offer to these PhDs and these really smart people in healing professions? So this feeling of imposter syndrome was really blocking me from writing anything remarkably intelligent, uh, sorry, remotely intelligent. And then my daughter asked me what I'm writing about. And I'm like, so this is what I'm doing. This is the program that I'm offering. And I'm going to explain how to, you know, what's going to happen. And as we were talking, I'm like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Oh, okay, that makes sense. And seven minutes later, like literally, it was less than 10 minutes later, the email was written and sent. Huh. So... I also want to jump back because I feel like you shared so much, so much in that last little chunk talking about your daughter. And I know for me, I got to be honest, hearing your hesitations, they're also valid. And I never even considered them. Maybe they're just unfounded fears. No, no, I don't think they are. I didn't consider them, but at the same time as, as you posed like those fears about haters and trolls. I mean, I'm thinking about how we haven't seen that yet. So I haven't seen that with my daughter's business. It's still very new. It's still very small. And I think that's another important thing to note. Like we're not, we're not throwing our all into it for her, if that makes sense. So she, she doesn't have as many extracurricular activities as your daughter, but she does do swim lessons and camps. And I mean, we prioritize playing with her friends because She's a kid, absolutely. <laughs> you know, so it's on a smaller scale. It's definitely more of a hobby, even though um, we do call it a business because it generates money and she takes pride in that. But um, when it comes to like social media, she's only on it with me. 
I monitor things without her. So I feel like if if a trolling incident were to occur, I would I would see it and have the opportunity to address it before she would be exposed to it. So I know that's not always going to be a perfect situation. Do you know what I mean? I do. I do. Like when you were t- talking about it, I just kind of cringed inside because I just imagined somebody being hateful to like a eight-year-old girl and it made me physically like uncomfortable. And unfortunately people get, I don't know what the word is. People get like, I've heard somebody say something funny, but I can't think of it now where they just get like behind the keyboard. It it makes them like, like act unlike how you would act in real life. You know? And I think we see that if you go to any like hack, anything politically charged, you know, people just turn into, I think trolls is the only thing I can use to describe them where, where they're acting so blatantly immature. Yeah. 90% of them wouldn't do that to somebody face to face, but because you're hiding behind the keyboard. So, I mean, I think that's a legitimate concern. And as a grown woman, I mean, I get a friend request all the time from people who are inappropriate. You know, you get sent like, is that just me? <laughs> no, <clears throat> I'm, it's a mystery to me why people would do that. Like, I don't get as many because I'm friendly, not as popular as you are. Um, <laughs> I do remember on LinkedIn, weirdly, people would send me like invitations to connect that would turn out to be invitations to date. But that didn't happen very often. And it would really make me wonder, like, are you serious? But it's kind of not what I'm talking about. It's... Um, it's exactly about your point where people feel no empathy, like the, right. the fact that they're not geographically in the same place and that they don't see somebody in front of them completely strips them of whatever empathy they had. So they write mean things because it makes them feel powerful because they think it's funny because they didn't think because whatever. Some people are jerks. And I, I don't know, like, again, maybe it's a completely unfounded fear And maybe it's one of those things that, you know, it's not like accidents happen. It won't stop you from driving, right? Maybe it's in that category. I don't know. Well, and I think ignorantly, I just hope it won't. Like my girls are, they're young and they've got this, you know, it's, it's so easy to, to feel that love with your, with your kids, but they just are so inquisitive and have such like pure hearts and like they're doing this for the right reasons. And there's a part of me that's like, hopefully Nobody will see this as an opportunity to just attempt to crush their dreams for absolutely no reason. Um, But hopefully, number one, I would see it and circumvent it. And number two, I think like everything else, it's just trying to explain difficult things to our kids in appropriate ways. And just with the news, I mean, we've had to... I don't don't want to go too deep down a rabbit hole, but I think it's relevant. I mean... My kids will see things on the news or they'll hear hear things at school, difficult things about school shootings or, you know, they'll do the drills, you know, where they're they're hiding in closets and things like that. And and they ask about those things. And we have to decide as as a parent, like what. And I've got such a wide range of kids, like my oldest is turning 11 soon. My youngest is three. You know, what do I want to tell these (laughs) these kids? Um, about these difficult issues. And I think it's similar. You know, it's, that's, that might be a more extreme situation, but. You know, 
I think it's similar in terms of having hard conversations, but I think it's also very different because the news and the external happenings are not targeting them. True. Whereas when it's your business, you know, it's specifically pointed at you. No, and you're right there. And for me, because I've had, even as an adult, I think that I've had some of those same issues. I've had to come to terms with the fact that, you know, you're not going to be everyone's cup of tea. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that that might just be the lesson that my kids need to take away from that too, which they kind of get on their own small scale, even at school. Like they're not friends with everybody. You know, like there are some people that they just don't really get along with. Like my, my, my one daughter has, there's a girl and she just says, you know, we play, we play together, but she's bossy and I just don't want her to come to my birthday party. And we have those conversations and I feel like it would be an easy way to kind of scale (laughs) internet trolls. Uh, it's hopefully like I, I sincerely hope that you're absolutely right and your approach seems healthy. And we don't really know. Like we like I said, I hearing your your reservations, I'm like, oh, I never I don't think I dived as deep into into those. We just jumped and I figure we'll figure it out <laughs> along the way. Well, you know what? I honestly think that's amazing. I think that's great. And I think the fact that you just do stuff and figure it out on the fly, that's how things really happen. That's, that's what the, all the greats do. <laughs> well, thanks. <laughs> so what, you talked about some of the hesitations with your daughter. What do you think the next steps are for you? Like, do you think that you're going to let her explore something entrepreneurial or does she do anything? I know you said the lemonade stands like aren't that fun. Would it be different though for her to start something kind of in real life as opposed to virtually for you? Uh, probably. Yeah. Yeah, probably. I don't know. You know, you, you talked about your kids and uh, their businesses and how they start a podcast. And I'm like, hmm, that actually sounds like a lot of fun. That sounds really like I, I have ideas floating in my head. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. It's in a sense, it's not up to me. It's more up to her. It should come from her. However, the next step might be to send her to like an entrepreneurial camp. We actually have these things here. And in fact, if she weren't, you know, we we almost signed her up like the schedule didn't work uh, for for this summer. But as you talk, I think that's that's probably the next step, kind of like dipping your toe in these waters. Right. In a safe way. And maybe, maybe the answer is just as simple too as keeping her off social media. Oh, absolutely. You know, like even if she starts an online business or a podcast, which I still consider kind of online because I don't know, it's hosted online. You have a website, you have show notes, but you don't have to have comments. Like you can turn comments off. And if you don't have social media, then you avoid the troll factor. So that might be a safer or like I said, just monitoring the social media. Like you monitor the social media and don't give her access to it until... Until she's at that age, you know, then once, and I don't know what that age is. Obviously that age is going to be different from family to family. I mean, I think Facebook's official age is 13. Um, 13? I believe you have to be 13 to Mm -hmm. create a Facebook account. And again, if I'm correct, there are certain features that 
you don't get access to until you turn 18. So, yeah. So they try to keep things age appropriate. And then from an advertising standpoint, which is my background, like you can't advertise to kids. Like if you're advertising alcohol or something like that, it has to be over the age of 21. And like there's very specific rules Mm -hmm. to try to keep things age appropriate that way. But maybe the answer is just that if social media is the way you want to go, that as a parent, you're the social media manager. Like you add that additional, like, (laughs) congratulations. You've now added another role to the things that you offer. And when the child gets to be whatever that age is for you, whether it's 13 or 18 or somewhere in between, at that point, you can go through the and here is how. Because at some point, we're going to have to do that, right? Like, we can't hide oh, yeah. on social yeah. forever. So at some point, we're going to have to come up with uh, rules and, and toughen their skin for, for that situation. Because unfortunately, I don't think it's going to get any better, you know? Yeah. I'm just thinking about all these things. Age 18 sounds so far off. And I know, like, I know it won't be very far, very long. But... Nope. Let me keep mine in the world for five minutes. (laughs) And that's why I'm enjoying introducing entrepreneurship at a young age, because I feel like before we know it, they're going to be 18. We were just talking about college um, yesterday with the kids. And I, I don't know, sometimes I don't know where these conversations come from. They were talking about like what comes after grade 12. They were talking about like grade 13 and grade 14. And we had to be like, no, 12 is it. And then you then you take what the next step is, whether that is a community college or a four-year college or getting a job or starting a business. Like that's when you make that decision. So I'm hoping, I feel like school is preparing them for college. I mean, that's what it should be doing, right? At least. (laughs) I I think school should prepare people for life. College was for the longest time, like, you know, the most common path to a good career. But I think nowadays with the gig economy and entrepreneurship on the rise, and let's not even talk about the price of college, it's kind of shifting a little bit. What do you think? No, and I I think it is. I'm just not confident that school is preparing them for anything. I feel like school is pushing them towards college. Oh, I agree. I agree. It was just a... That's what I meant to say. I think you're absolutely correct in that we're shifting culturally where it's more acceptable now. And my, as a mom, like my mindset has totally changed because I used to be 100% believing like success means school, then college, then career. And um, we've told the kids that college doesn't have to come after school. Like as long as you've got a plan you know, a goal and a plan to get there and you're making movements towards that goal and everything's legal, then we're in support of it. So yeah, so I'm hoping yeah, that by introducing them to these entrepreneurial concepts now, we're going to lessen that learning curve for them later. Because I know for me, I wasn't prepared to, to jump into entrepreneurship. You know, it was, it was foreign. It was foreign to me. So I'm hoping that it, that by involving them in this process, I'm setting, I'm paving a path for them that, that didn't exist for me, you know, so that it'll be easier. Yeah. It's a very valid point. And it's, you know, an argument for exposing my daughter to entrepreneurship earlier rather than later. Well, and I think you are exposing her and you know, we all make our own decisions. I I don't want to sound like I'm trying to convince you 
to parent in a different way. That's certainly not, you know, my intent. Um, I think you're exposing her and I think that she's benefiting from it, whether she's launching her own business and handing out her own business cards or not. She's seeing you hustle, you know, and she's, she's taking that away, whether you like it or not. (laughs) Yeah. I, you know, we all hope to be good examples for our kids. So that's probably one of the biggest things. No, it's wonderful. So I'd like to, we ask all of our guests, what is your number one piece of advice? So for parent entrepreneurs listening right now, like what's the number one tip that you offer that you'd like to offer them? I think, and I probably should practice more what I preach, but I think being very open about what's going on in your business. And if you see a spark of interest from the kid, talk to them about it, like communicate, develop this interest. I'm a big believer in general in involving kids in your career. And of course, I don't mean that they should come to work with you every day. But if you're a physicist, you might want to talk with your kids about the research you're doing. And if you are baking pies and you run a bakery, you might want to share the recipes with your children and, you know, talk about the challenges of getting up really early in the morning. So I think for us as parents, just making conversations about work and about business a part of our daily lives uh, strengthens the relationships mm-hmm. in the family and getting kids exposed to different ways of you know, creating a career, creating an income. Just kind of, I don't know, I'm not a big fan of shielding kids, said the woman who was just concerned about trolling online, right? But honestly, when it comes to you being who you are professionally, I think it's a great idea to communicate that to your children. Now, I love that advice. I really do. Now, where can people learn more about you? Where can they find more information about you and your business? You can come to my virtual home. It's vision-framework.com or vision-framework.com. Because as I said, I built frameworks for visionaries, systems for small businesses. Come listen to me on my podcast. It's Systems Meet Humanity, where... You know, we talk exactly about the intersections where systems clash with emotions mm-hmm. or where systems and emotions converge. Come disagree with me. Let me know <laughs> what you think. Uh, you can find me on Facebook or on Twitter. But honestly, as someone who hadn't, hasn't quite cracked the social media thing, come to my website. I'll be there. Awesome. And then you mentioned to me earlier that you've got a free course about what system you can or you should tackle first. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for mentioning it. So when I work with entrepreneurs, especially those not quite at the beginning of the road, but right before the first big growth spurt, this is where people realize that, shoot, we need a system. And everybody's telling us we need to be more systematic because things are getting out of hand. System for what? Because you need a system for everything. You need a system for marketing. You need a system for managing your time. And you need a system for managing your socks. And you need a system to make sure that you pick up your kids from school at the right time. And you need a system for managing your money. And you need a system for communicating with your maybe team or maybe not. Where the heck do you start? Because it's overwhelming. Mm -hmm. So I've seen this happen quite a lot. And I decided to create a free course that guides you through a series of questions and helps you decide which system is already working for you, which systems are really hurting or 
where you are really hurting because you don't have systems there. So it helps you diagnose which systems you need to address. And then it tells you how you can do it. Like it points you to the right tools and in the right direction in general. So if you come to my website, it, it'll pop up at you. It's right there or it's on the sidebar. Oh, perfect. Awesome. So they'll just see that when they go visit you at your site. Perfect. So we will include links for your website and some notes, everything that we talked about during this episode in our show notes. And I really want to thank you for taking time out of your schedule to come and chat with us. It's been a pleasure to learn about how you keep organized and to talk about your daughter. So I love that. Thank you for having me. It was a really fun, deep conversation that I'm glad for the opportunity to have. You'll find all the links mentioned in this week's episode, plus the show notes at megbrenson.com slash 41. Last week, I chatted with Nicole Connell. She's an educator and mentor in the Bay Area who is a certified educational therapist, though she prefers the title Personal Learning Fairy Godmother. She loves supporting children to stay connected to their inner knowing and big ideas, and she helps parents see the brilliance in their children even if they don't fit into the box and advocates for perspective and paradigm shifts in the educational realm. I have a personal story that relates to a child with ADHD, and we talk a lot about ADHD and the school systems. Next week, we're going to discuss two of the greatest skills that your child will need to be successful in life, positive character skills and being smart with money. I'll be joined by two zany and loving grandmas, Debbie Todd, a spunky CPA, and Phyllis Matson, an amazing theater creative, who've merged their passions to bring belly laughs and fun learning to your amazing kiddos between the ages of three to nine using online interactive theater. Their adventures in Puppetopia and Smart Money Commanders program bring short, powerful, and practical lessons right into your home with lots of easy-to-follow activities for your little commanders and helpful teachable moment resources for parents, too. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast today so you don't miss that episode. And definitely go back and give Nicole's episode a listen, especially if you've got kids either in the public school system or kids who are differently abled or don't quite fit into the box. Thanks, guys. It's been great, and I look forward to seeing you next week. Have a great week. Bye. Did you know that my mom has a Facebook page, Instagram account, YouTube channel, and more? Her username is The Meg Brunson. Just about everywhere. You should go follow her.